process with your word minister to each and every heart here through your servant Holy Spirit speak to us and lead us through this moment in Jesus name we pray once again for all that you've done Welcome, welcome back. Uh, each and every Sunday we gather together. We're excited to have the opportunity in this new year to gather this morning too. And, and we praise God together. And um, if you know Canoe Creek, if this is your first time at Canoe Creek, you'll learn that uh, nothing happens in one exact moment at Canoe Creek, right? It's, it's a constant growing process. Like you don't come on a Sunday and it's some sort of big show, so on and so forth, right? Or you just don't come to one event or one. It's just a constant process of being engaged when we gather together on Sunday mornings, gather in groups, whatever it is that we do here, uh, that we, we're, we're learning how to praise God more together. And as we do that, as we sing his songs that en encourage us, lift us up, remind us of his word, as we pray, as we dig into the scriptures and, and learn from them, uh, all of that we believe, without a doubt, it is forming our hearts, it's shaping us to be people that we imagine we can be because of his presence in our life. This builds us up in the kind of people that we go out and we live different than we did before. We live with the presence of Christ in our lives and that overflow of the presence of Christ in others, it's, it gives us the opportunity to share Jesus with our world. And this is not just a statement for us, it's a, it's a way of life, it's a, it's a philosophy, it's, it's a theology and we press into it each and every week. I'm excited when you're here to, to praise God alongside of us, we look forward to joining together as a body of Christ to do that. And a couple of things I want to share with you that are ways in which you can engage in that and be involved in that even more. Uh, one thing we've been mentioning starting last week is we are changing our church app, and this helps people get connected. I realize for some of you, technology is not the biggest thing. Uh, for, for me, sometimes it's more of a headache than it is a blessing, but it is a reality of life that we live in. Uh, the app helps with a lot of things, not only your own personal information, connecting to you to your groups, information, where you can register, so on and so forth. The, the current app still works, but by the end of this month, it's going to be gone away. And that also means if you use the app or you use giving online, that how you give, that platform is going to change too. So we're inviting you to get involved and go ahead and make that change and switch. You'll see that there's this insert in your bulletin. If you didn't grab a bulletin, grab one on your way out. And uh, there's actually a little QR code there too that if you are not familiar with technology, there's a little video that can show you how to get this new app and how to get involved in it and have it all set up for you as well. Uh, the other thing that I want to mention to you, which is really great, is one of the things that you'll find very easily within that new app, too, is you can click on groups and you'll see what are the groups available, where can I grow spiritually, what classes are available, because we have our winter uh, electives starting on January the 16th, and man, we've got some, we got two amazing classes, uh, one at 9 o'clock, one at 10.30, so you can come to one of the services in here, and then you can go to one of the classes, and uh, one of them is really just behind the ideas. What if Jesus was serious? 
And, and it's going to explore the wisdom of Jesus, what he said to us in the Beatitudes, and how we apply that to life every day. So it's going to be a great class. You're not going to want to miss it. Another one is going to go back into the Old Testament and look at Old Testament wisdom literature, like some of the things that Solomon wrote, some of the things that we find in Ecclesiastes, and so on and so forth. So two great classes. You can register for them on the app. Um, you can learn more details about them so that you can be on time, show up. Those classes will run until April 10th. So they have a start. They have an end. So it's a great opportunity to engage in a season of learning and growing spiritually. And of course, if you got kids, you know your kids are being uh, taught and encouraged in learning about Christ in their environments while you're able to do that in your own as well. Uh, so as we start out this new year, Obviously, one of the things that we often do at the beginning of the year is we reflect, we look back. Maybe we count up some things. How much did we spend on this or how much did we spend on that? Uh, did we accomplish these goals? Were some things that we didn't get done, so on and so forth? Then we start looking ahead, right? Uh, we got to crunch the budget a little bit more because of how the holidays went or whatever it may be. Make plans, make goals. Maybe we make resolutions, things of that nature. Um, but here's what I want to propose to us as we start out this new year in this sermon series that will last for eight weeks. Maybe sometimes we consider those um, resolutions, we consider those ideas, we make those plans uh, from the wrong perspective. Maybe with the wrong question in mind. It's just about getting something done or it's just about accomplishing this or it's just about retirement or maybe a new wedding that you've got coming up in your life and a new season of life or whatever it may be. And, and maybe we need to go press in a little bit deeper. What I'm saying is in our culture, we're really good at shop talk, right? We're really good at surface level. Um, reflectiveness is not something that we're always great at within our culture. And pressing something beyond the surface is not something that we are always good at. And what if we made resolutions? What if we thought about new seasons of life and new directions and new ideas with a much more pressing thought in mind? That is living with the end in mind. You know, we're all human. We all know that we've got to face it at some point. And, and we want to take a look at that and consider that. How would that change my resolutions? How would that change my thinking? Not just in a broad sense, not just for a year or for a season of years, but in every day, in every moment. You know, when we talk about living to share Jesus with our world, having an idea of our humanity and what is involved in that uh, can really alter and change those, those decisions in a more powerful way. You know, two years ago, it was m one, of my, one of my goals for that year was to create a death file. I, you know, I had never thought about that, and I don't know why, you know. It, you know you're starting to get old when you start thinking about creating death files. And some of you are thinking, oh, you're still young yet. But listen, here's the reality. You don't have to be young or old, do you? You know, and, and, and I started thinking about what are some of the things that Tina would need to know and have access to or my kids and so on and so forth. So I started working on this death file, and I realized it's a lot more daunting than I thought. You know, collecting a lot of things into the same place, thinking through some of these things. Here's one of the things that really caught me off guard is it required questions of me that I never thought about before. It required a perspective of a me that I had never really lived out before. And as a result of that, it was taking me into places that I never really considered and I had just simply taken for granted. And as we press into a new year, you know, we think about we're going to make decisions about relationships, about money, about work, about this, about that. Um, is it possible that we take a lot of those things for granted? Is it possible that we make big decisions about those types of things 
asking the wrong question or from the wrong perspective at the end. And so here's the thing. I think some would or could look at this. Well, that's a little pessimistic, don't you think? Well, we're about to dive into a book that is strongly pessimistic in some ways. But I don't think so. I think that as we think that way, as we look from that perspective and think with the end in mind, here's what it does. It's not pessimistic or it's pessimistic to a point. That is, it gives us the opportunity to live in the present fully. Everything that I do, every decision that I make, every moment that I experience, not just a year, not just a season, not just a month, right? Not just looking forward to this vacation or that promotion or whatever it may be. That even in the simplest things on a daily basis, I live in those moments very present to take up the memories, to share Christ, to live in a way that really glorifies God in a way that I desire to live. Why? Because I'm thinking from a different perspective with a much more broader thought. So with that in mind, we're going to be exploring through the book of Ecclesiastes, which is not the most accessible book, I'll be honest with you. It's very difficult. In fact, I've got one goal for myself in this series. Uh, First of all is to figure out why I decided to do this series. That's the first goal, okay, because this is not an easy task. But the second one is by the end of it, I can actually spell the book name Ecclesiastes. And so, you know, we're just going to take it one step at a time, one thought at a time. But here's the reason why. It is all about life, and it's about the grittiness of life as well. And as we explore various parts and, and pieces of it, it's not just like Proverbs where you have these pithy little simple statements. Um, it's a different type of wisdom literature. It's very unconventional. It's very critical. It's speculative. And it's even, like I said, it's pessimistic at times. It, it's not these little statements. It's like a monologue or soliloquy to where you have this very intelligent person, not because they know things, because they've actually practiced wisdom in engaging with those things, experiencing those things, and, and then they're just basically barfing out their, their, the content of their heart and their mind onto a page and, and, and giving us wisdom and direction as a result of it. And, and here's the gritty truth about the book and the hard thing that we're going to have to work through is simply that it is in some ways fiercely negative in the book. So, hey, Happy New Year. Welcome to 2022, right? Um, but here, that's the thing. We, we could do a series, right, where it's just like how to live your best life now, happy, healthy, wealthy. Here's how to have the job, seven steps to have a great family. Sometimes we do those things, though, and it's a very pretend fashion. That's not the kind of world we live in, is it? The world we live in is gritty. Sometimes the world we live in is fiercely negative and difficult. Um, and I'm thankful that God doesn't just come along and, and coddle us. He gives us books like uh, like Ecclesiastes, which makes us press in with our minds and our hearts into something a little bit more deeply than maybe we we have before and more deeply as we should as well. And, and here's what I would equate it to to some degree, right? It's maybe kind of like a journey. I don't know if any of you like to hike or you like to ride mountain bikes or something like that or maybe you go places on your boat. Sometimes a journey can be difficult. You know, whether it's a wilderness, uh, and I mean by that like the Judean wilderness where it's dry and desert and rocky and harsh, you know, or some other wilderness where maybe it's wet and cold and so on and so forth. And, and you know, it's not, it requires something of you. But you end at the end of the journey, you end at some place with this beautiful, picturesque scene, right? A beautiful oasis that you wouldn't have gotten there unless you were willing to accept the journey. 
and, and take and make some of the hard and difficult steps. And, and I would equate this is kind of what like Ecclesiastes is like. If you're willing to endure the hard journey, there are some amazing uh, results and oases within the book that we learn in how to practice wisdom in our own life. Let me just share with you a little bit about the book. I can't share a whole lot now. I mean, you could you could talk about this for hours, but just a few things, and I'll drop some other things along the way. The author's not named. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that I'm going to assume it's Solomon, um, but it's not. He's not named in the book as the author. And so if you don't agree with me, well, okay, just send me an email. But I'm just saying, for simplicity's sake, make that assumption. And here's what some have said. Uh, if, if it is Solomon, here's what's interesting is you could say that Solomon wrote Song of Solomon in his youth. He wrote Proverbs in his wisdom. And he wrote Ecclesiastes in his old age. In some ways, it was somewhat of a penitent lament for some of the mistakes that he had made. And he had learned through practicing various things, which is how wisdom comes, and realized that he wishes he had done some things differently or recognizes uh, that, you know, satisfaction is only found in knowing and trusting the wisdom of God. If you, if you lean into and accept that premise of Solomon being the author, you could make the case that the book is a plea to you to reconsider in the decisions you're making, how you're making them, why you're making them, what is your meaning in life, what is your purpose in life, which is really important, especially as we kick off into a new, new year. Uh, the writer, it's interesting, he flips back and forth. Sometimes he writes from a natural perspective. This is deemed with the statement under the sun. That is, he, he's writing from a perspective of somebody who's not looking for God, not trusting in God, and just living in the world, so to speak. But then all of a sudden he'll flip and he'll write from a spiritual perspective. And, and, and that's important. Like he says, all is vanity, right? But then elsewhere he says, everything God does remains forever. So therefore everything is not vanity, right? Because there's some things that count. There's some things that last. There's some things that ultimately matter. And here's the most beautiful thing of this book. Even though it's thousands of years old, it's, it's, there's the, it's so contemporary in its nature. It speaks directly to where we are and everything that we do. It speaks to modern culture in every way. It talks about sex. It talks about work. It talks about education. It talks about fame. It talks about alcohol. You name it, it talks about it. And so as we engage in that, it helps engage us as well. And when we're willing to balance the tension that we find, that we live in a world that can be fiercely negative, fiercely difficult, right? But at the same time, we believe that God is fundamentally good. When we're willing to balance that tension and press into that and not just live in a land of unicorns and rainbows, right, and, and deal with it, man, there's some gold. We mine some, some deep gold as a result of that. And so, you know, kind of a big idea is that is, is case in this thought that sometimes people, Christians, in a desire to be evangelistic, ask, in my opinion, <clears throat> not the greatest question, right? Now, if you've asked this question before, no judgment, okay? I'm not judging, I'm just saying. And that is sometimes I've seen and heard Christians ask a non-Christian, where would you go if you died tonight? Okay, if you've done it before, like I said, not judging. I'm just saying, I don't think it's the best question. The book of Ecclesiastes begs of us a very different question. It says, if you don't die tonight, will you have meaning in the day that you live tomorrow? 
This is what Ecclesiastes brings us to. I think a much better question to process and think about as we move into this new year. And here's one of the problems that I think maybe you see, I see within contemporary Christianity is that just simply we follow Jesus because of what we want in the end rather than following Jesus as a means to know God and be radically transformed in this life in the journey that he gives to us to, to share him with the world around him. And this is the kind of thing Ecclesiastes deals with. And so essentially it's saying learning to live with the end in mind is an ultimately wise way to live. Now, I may not know what your resolutions are. I may not know what is going on in your mind or plans that you're making and things of that nature. But I can guarantee you they fit in four categories. Whatever the resolutions are, whatever the plans, whatever the ideas, they fit in four categories. Category number one, pleasure. You want to do some fun stuff, all right? We all want to live in that place, right? Number two, uh, wisdom and foolishness. All of you want to grow. All of you want to change. You want to transform in some way. Work. It's something that we do, right? Living the dream every day. All of us got to make decisions and thoughts about that, whether it's this job or that job or retirement or something else, right? And, and then the fourth is power and wealth. You know, do I have authority and power in this relationship, this situation, that situation? You know, do I have money? Do I have this? Can I live within these means and so on and so forth? Any resolution you make, any thought, any goal, it's going to fit in one of those four categories. Now, here's what's interesting. This is why this is important. Is the author pursues all of these things categorically, pursues every single one of them as an experiment of wisdom. It's not that he just engages in things for pleasure or work or power, just to, just to have it. He literally does these things and records them in, in the majority of the book, chapters basically one through six, to say, I've experienced these things. I've done these things. And guess what? The end result is not uplifting. It's not inspiring. It's not, I found some sort of key to life. In fact, the end result is simply found in a statement that's kind of the core of the book and the main ideas in chapter 1, verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. This is the ultimate result that he comes to in his experiment, engaging in all of these things. And I use the NASB on the translation. A lot of times we use NIV, and sometimes people ask me questions about this. I use the NASB here because it's the one translation I found that keeps it vanity versus meaningless. A lot of translations translate it meaningless. I don't think that that works in our culture. I think that gives us an idea that's a wrong idea because that's not what's meant here. Uh, the actual word means breath or breeze. And so, you know, the reality of that isn't that it's meaningless. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and, and with it meaning breath or breeze, here's a couple of things that we learned. And I want to give a lot of credit to David Gibson in his book. I'm turning to every source I can get my hands on to try and make it through this sermon series because it's going to be a difficult one. But a couple of things that we think about that, it's not about it being meaningless. I already pointed out how he would say something in a natural view, he would say something in a spiritual view, and, and the spiritual view would contradict and say, oh, well, this does, there is meaning here. This isn't all meaningless. So vanity is a better word. It means breath. So if you think of it that way, a couple of things we take away from it. Number one, life is short. We don't, we don't think like that, though, do we? I don't get up every day and say, okay, well, today could be it. 
But when we live like that, it can radically change things. Isn't it interesting when we're young, we spend the majority of our time trying to speed things up. You know what I'm saying? And you know what happens. You know when you're finally old. You're trying to slow things down. You're like, the merry-go-round's going too fast. Let me try and slow things down here. It's normally about the time you start making statements that you realize were the statements your parents made that you said you'd never make, right? Those, those two kind of coincide together, right? And we start to recognize that life is a little short. Um, Jesus gave a really good parable and perspective on this in Luke 12. He talks about a man who has a lot of wealth. He has barns to sort it all in because it's you know, agriculture, right? And he says, well, I'm going to tear those down and build bigger ones because I can store more. And Jesus says, he doesn't even realize, he doesn't understand. His life is due today. Like his soul <laughs> is going to be leaving the earth uh, today. And, and yet this is the scriptures. The author has given us a serious meditation on the brevity of life. And, and the result is he is begging us. He's begging us, I've lived this way, I've experienced these things well beyond anything you could ever live and experience. Because you're talking about somebody who had amassed an amazing amount of pleasure, amazing amount of wisdom, amazing amount of work, and an amazing amount of power and wealth. And yet he's, I've done it all. But here's the one thing that you're going to realize, it's vanity. Why? Because life is so short, and it comes and goes quick. And, and if you're one of those people that are still trying to move life along a lot faster, you're probably on that other side of the bubble, right? And maybe you need to think about that and listen to those who are ahead of you in years just a little bit more and, and slow things down and consider some of the decisions that you're making, making them with the end in mind, all right? Another thing that we gather from this word vanity is life is elusive. It's elusive. It's hard to get our hands on. You know, listen, at the end of the day, Everybody in this room, I think every human on this planet, we want one thing, and we really struggle to gain it. We really struggle to have it, and that is control. I want to be able to say that tomorrow this is going to happen. Today this is going to happen. I'm going to do this, and it's going to work out that way. And listen, we make plans. That's wisdom. Stewardship is taking the things that we have, the things that we've been given, and applying them as best as I can. That's godly. That's good. But, but the idea that I'm going to be able to control some things, I'm going to be able to make things happen exactly like I want, like I can make a template for life and I can figure it out. A good friend of mine, Mike Wares, one time, we were, he's a church leader in a different place, and we were talking about something, and, and he was like, yeah, that's good, it's going great. And I said, yeah, we should figure it out, Mike, and write a book. And he said, no, Mike's older than me, and he's got a lot of wisdom. He's like, no, as soon as you figure it out, you won't understand it anymore. <laughs> it was a great statement, and it's true. Why? Because sometimes, as soon as we think we've got something figured out, we don't. Because life is elusive. In, in some ways, um, we pretend that we can control this or we can control that in the same way that Adam and Eve reached out, grabbed an apple from a tree because they wanted to control their environment. And, and when we do that and we grab a hold of things, sometimes when we start pulling them back into ourselves, we realize, oh, we got sand. we got a handful of sand, and it's just running through my fingers as faster than I can hold on to. Because life is ultimately elusive. Think about it this way. Ecclesiastes 1.3 says this. What do people gain, key word there, gain, from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Now, what do people gain from all their tools in which they labor under the sun? This is a key question, which he actually goes on to answer in verses 4 through 11. 
And the response isn't encouraging. It's not exciting. It's not what we'd want it to be. The answer is ultimately short and simple. Nothing. The idea is, into this world you come naked, out of this world you go naked. That's his perspective, and that's his point that he's trying to make. And at one point, the author talks about how the wise and the foolish meet the same fate. And he's like, so why bother, right? I mean, if the wise person dies just like the foolish person dies, why bother, and so on and so forth. Why? Because life is elusive. Think about this. If this is Solomon who's writing this, he spent 40 years building the kingdom. In a, I mean, he had a temple treasury that nobody could imagine. He had expanded territory in ways that nobody can imagine. He had united the kingdom in a way that it was the most powerful that ever was under his leadership. He spent 40 years putting all of his energy and all of his effort into that. In one year, his son Rehoboam had basically depleted the temple treasury, split the kingdom in two, and was in danger of outside enemies absolutely destroying it. In one year, it took 12 months after 40 years of building. And, and so and he lived that. He experienced that. He knew that. And, and so this is why he presents this and writes this. No matter what we think we figure it out, no matter what accomplishments, it's like a cosmic merry-go-round at times. You know, just like I said, my, my friend Mike Ware, he's like, no, don't figure it out. Because as soon as you figure it out, it won't work anymore, right? And you, you don't really understand it in the way that you, you thought you did. Right? Uh, this idea of vanity, breath, breeze. It also is that life is repetitive. This may be the one that gnaws at us the most. Uh, that life is just kind of secular, not linear, right? And it just the same things that have already happened are happening again. And in verses 5 through 8, he talks about the sun. He talks about the wind. He talks about the water from this perspective of how secular everything ultimately is. And look at what it says in verse 9. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. And as we look at that, as we think about that, here's why this is so important. We crave novelty because we think in novelty and something new and something different and some sort of change, there I'll find satisfaction. Well, there's nothing new under the sun. And guess what? That's not where we find satisfaction. It's not in getting a hold of something new and obtaining some sort of new pattern. How long does it last? How good is it good? You know, how long does it take before something that's new loses its new smell? And then we need that new smell again, or so on and so forth. And that's the point that he's trying to make here. And remember, there's no gain. He said there's no surplus. The human capacity for consumption can be a black hole if, if we let it. And, and because God knows that, he sent his son Jesus Christ because he knows he's the only thing that can satisfy. He's the only thing that can fill us. In a life that is short. In a life that is elusive, in a life that is fiercely uh, secular. And so as we think about this, life short, life elusive, life secular, happy new year. <laughs> Welcome to 2022, you know what I'm saying? But wh what are we going to do? We're going to pretend? We're going to live in a land of unicorns and rainbows? Because that's not how the book ends, right? Um, and it gets us and it moves us in a direction where we are putting more faith, more trust, more focus in God. Here's what's important. We can either live pretending that these things are not true or we can trust the wisdom of God leading us in every little decision we make every day. And the plans that we make that are annual or longer, right? 
and, and trust that God is going to take us in a direction and have appointments for us that maybe we had not anticipated, and it's okay. And he's going to do in our lives and through our lives more than we could have imagined apart from him or on our own. It's kind of like Jesus lived. He lived with an expiration date. I mean, every day that Jesus, I don't know when he came to some sort of cognitive understanding of his purpose, his plan, and what was going to happen, if he knew the exact dates and times and how and all that, but he lived every day with that in mind, knowing. I mean, I, I do not want to, and I'm sure you probably agree with me, I would, I would not want to live that way. I don't want to know the exact day, the exact time, the exact manner, right, in which I'm going to leave this earth. But I do want to live with the knowledge that it's going to happen. Because I know that it helps me live more present in those moments, more present with my family, with my wife, kids, grandkids, and more present with my community as well. Listen, just as of late, too, and it always seems to happen through the holidays, just negative and difficult news and, and experiencing that. And, and I just learned from a, a distant friend, I think it was a couple days before Christmas, they, they told me that their 21-year-old daughter um, going home from Flagstaff, involved in a car crash, crash and didn't survive. You know, and, and you have those moments sometimes where it, it doesn't quite hit home. It hits close enough to home to where you begin envisioning that in your own life. What if it were my kid? What if it were me? What if it were my brother? What if it were my son? My, my whatever. And, and, it, and it makes all that we see here that can appear fiercely negative or pessimistic or difficult, it makes it have deep meaning. It makes it something, man, I need to be thinking about this. I need to process this and get my mind wrapped around this. Because this kind of thinking leads us to a place where we fear God more and we live in such a manner that pleases God in our life too. Look at a closing statement of the book. Let me just go ahead and jump you ahead a little bit. And make a statement here that can wrap this up. And this is in chapter 12, verses 11 and 13. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. The, the words of the wise are like goads. That is, wor wise words or wise people are pressing us on making us press deeper and think about things in ways that maybe we haven't thought about them before. The, 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 the author, the preacher, uh, Solomon, if you will, he, he said, hey, you need to think about some things that you wouldn't normally think about here. And that's the goad, the a stick that pushes, you push something with and you push it forward. The wisdom here is going to push your mind into places you hadn't gone. It's going to push your heart into places you hadn't gone. But you're going to come to some amazing oasises as a result of that. And then the reality of it is, is, this is like truth that's nailed down. Why? Because it can't be moved. It can't be changed. See, we live in an environment where sometimes we pretend and we move truth where we want it to be. So we kind of live in a land of unicorns and rainbows, right? And, and the author is saying, this is the kind of truth that is, is with God. It is absolute. It, you don't move it, it moves you. You don't change it, it transforms you. And so as we put that in our mind and we think about living with the end in mind, because that's a wise way to live, I think it has the potential to radically shift and change some of the things that we think about, some of the plans that we make, 
and some of the things that we do. It might even press you to a place where you give your life to Christ for the first time ever. It might even press you to a place where you actually start to share Christ with your world, which is our vision statement for this church. Whatever it's going to do, I promise you this, if you're willing to take the journey, it has the ability to press you into places that are powerful, where you can live a life where you fear God in a good way, and you desire to please Him in how you live. And it will be good for you and all around you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to press into some difficult words. And we just ask that you would help us to understand better what you would desire for us here. We ask, that, Lord, that you would help us to get perspective on uh, just some things that we can do in our lives. As we process things, as maybe we're going through some difficult things that have hurt us, maybe we're excited and we have some sort of attitude of celebration about things, Lord. All of it, any of it, the small things, the big things, Help us to process them, to think about them, to make plans that are good, to be practical in what we do, which is really what wisdom is, uh, with you in mind, with our, our brevity in mind, the fact that our lives are short, that our life is elusive, and that it's just a repetitive cycle. And so in doing so, we find satisfaction in you. We find satisfaction in, in living a life that glorifies and honors and fears you. And as we do this, Lord, prayer is, is that you would help us to find some of the greatest sense of satisfaction, opportunity, and encouragement, uh, this side of heaven that we can find. And Father, we pray that the overflow of that would radically impact the people close to us and the people far from us. And we pray this in Jesus' name.